Welcome to our podcast. It's not prod. I can't. It's pod. I think I think I need to teach language mythologies right now. Let's try that one again. Hello, SLPs. Welcome to True Confessions with Lisa and Sarah. Okay, can start confessing now. This is so cheesy. Well, hi, Lisa. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? It's good. I'm trying to get settled back. I'm home. I had a real quick jaunt over to California for the weekend. Get a little bit of a hurricane, Sitch. Oh, my gosh. First of all, I live in Phoenix. Like We don't have weather. We don't even know what to do with rain. So I get there knowing that a hurricane may be coming, and I'm going to be on a boat. Like... And I was like, do I still do this? But we were watching the weather and I was like, okay, it's downgrading a tropical storm. We should be fine. And then we would watch and it was turning. And so we go to the grocery store. The lines are so long and everybody's, the shelves are empty. I'm like, oh, this is serious. Like everybody's like, knows more than I do. Even I'm watching the weather. And so I'm like, what's going on? So I'm talking to the cashier and she goes, this is so embarrassing. I can't even believe people are acting like this. And I go, well, my favorite part is that they're we're at Trader, Trader Joe's. Like, that's the place you go when you're going to stock up for, like, an emergency. But anyway. You have fabulous things at Trader Joe's. Wait, I about? love it. But that's not, like, your emergency supply place. But whatever. Water. So, no, it barely rained. It rained. Well, I shouldn't say barely. It rained all day Sunday, which was so fun for me. But, no, it was fine. Everything was fine. There was also an earthquake. I also got an earthquake notification. There was one in Ojai. And so I was just like, well, I got all the things this weekend. Seriously. Did you pay yes. like extra for that? Was that like part of a package that you got? But I hope I, I tried to pay attention. I hope everybody else was safe. I know Palm Springs, I think I hit a little bit. Tijuana, maybe. Hopefully not too much damage and all is well. Yeah. Well, we have a guest in the confessional. I will say this is a first for us because our guest today would like to remain anonymous. And we're going to call her Molly. So welcome, Molly, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So can you tell our audience a little bit about you, non-identifying, obviously? (laughs) Yes. So I have been a speech therapist for almost 10 years now. Um, I have experience working in private clinics and in the hospital setting, inpatient, outpatient. um, And I'm currently working in the school system. So I have a little bit of experience in most areas. Fantastic. I do kind of wish you were like with the lights off in like dark. And then like you're like the voice is got like that robot voice to keep it like super anonymous. No, I'm just kidding. I think this is really cool because when you talked about what like an idea for an episode, I was like, you still have to like filter yourself if everybody, you know, knows what university you went to or what school you work in. So I think this is going to be great. Yeah, no, I'm excited. And uh, the the intention of me um, sharing my story is not, you know, to call out a specific um, SLP program or university or any particular person. It's just to kind of bring awareness to some of the situations that I faced um, and connect with people or 
um, you know, someone who's listening might be able to connect and say, hey, that something similar happened to me. Like I didn't realize until a couple years after I was out of my program with talking with other newly graduated SLPs that some of my experiences were not normal um, or what should have happened. Um, so yeah, it's just very, very interesting. Um, were they normal within your program or you felt isolated to just your experience there? I, I felt isolated to just my experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about, about, um, about that, about your experience. Yeah. So I think it all kind of started and I, I, I would guess that most people felt this way getting into a grad school program for speech pathology is so difficult. And I can't even imagine trying to get into a program now with all the competition and, you know, programs having to cut back or, you know, budgets being cut, um, the need for professors and the high demand for SLPs everywhere. It's, it's really crazy and stressful. So it kind of started there with me and I applied to three programs that were in the area that I wanted to end up in. And um, I got denied to two. I got waitlisted at one. And then an hour after I got waitlisted, I got accepted. So I was super excited that I I didn't have to wait in agony too long. And I, I did get accepted. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where the story started. And then there were some things in my personal life that had an effect early on um, in my first and second semester of grad school. Um, I had to be living apart from my husband, which was stressful. Um, We were somewhat newlyweds. And then just the stress of starting grad school, I don't think, I don't know if you could ever be truly prepared for starting your first semester of grad school. It it was mind blowing how just everything that they throw at you and then everything you have to remember. And I'm the type of person, if I get too much information thrown at me, some of it doesn't always stick. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of difficult too. And then, so the, the other big thing with, with me was that I am not a book smart person. I, you know, I can read, I can take notes, I can take the test, but my grades were really average most of the time. Um, But it was the hands-on classes that I really felt that I did good at and that I excelled at. And that's when I got those higher grades. Unfortunately, you don't get those hands-on classes your first couple semesters, or at least in the program that I was in. So that's where I really struggled. Um, And I ended up on academic probation twice within (laughs) my grad school career. Um, And I was- defined as academic probation? Like what what did- that involved, like grade wise, did you get a C? Did you get like, what is, what did they consider academic probation? So with my program, it was, and I can't remember what exactly the GPA was, but my GPA fell below what the, um, uh, the, like the, the lowest requirement was for the program, I guess. And I can't remember if that was like the college that my program was in, like, you know, arts and sciences or business or whatever, or if that was like the SLP program specific, but I did fall below that. So they, they gave me a warning saying, if you don't get your grades up by next semester, then you're going to be out of the program. Um, along with that, then I also, um, had a scholarship and then the head of the department came to me and said, well, we're taking away your scholarship because you're an academic probation. And I said, well, wait a second, let's read the fine print here. So my husband and I went, he, he helped me read it over. And we actually found that, um, in our opinion, uh, the head of our department, my department was incorrect. So I went above the department head's head to the, I believe it was the head of the college, um, or like the, 
yeah, the, the college section. And then he suggested that I go to the president of the university, which I did. And he said, yep, he heard my story and said, yep, no problem. You can keep your scholarship. Just make sure your grades are back up. You'll stay in your program and you're good to go. So good for you. Yeah. But like to even take that time to advocate on top of what you said, you're already completely stressed being in this program, dealing with all of the newness of it, and then having the threat of funding get taken away. Did did you find that after you kind of won your appeal, did things shift against you? Like, how dare you appeal my decision as dean of this program? Oh, dean of the. Thank you. I was, yeah. No, no, that's that's the right word. I was thinking of what what the, uh, what they were called. Yeah, the dean. Um, I think the the head of our department was a little miffed that they were in the wrong, but um, ultimately I was right. So we kind of moved past that. But I think the the department head had this kind of the, he, the um they had this idea of what um, like the perfect SLP student looked like. And I definitely did not fit that mold. So when someone approached the head of the department with a problem, whether it be personal or academic, um, I think the, that person did, wasn't able to relate or have, have sympathy in some situations. Um, they just wanted like that perfect SLP student. And I was not that. So, um, I ran into that a couple with a couple different um, program staff as well. I am so impressed. I like Lisa said that you would take it, you know, up the chain and and do what's advocate for yourself. Because I do remember. I think the one thing. Um, I mean, we talk about imposter syndrome all the time, but more so probably in the workplace. But I absolutely felt that the entire time I was in school, that like one of these professors is going to realize I'm literally a fraud and shouldn't be here and you know, not nearly as competent as all these people in this program, you know? And so I can't imagine anything that would have been confrontational. I don't know what I would have done, to be honest with you. I, I just, I don't think I would have been able to handle it very well. And that is so unfortunate, be, you know, that like, I think I, like you said, there's already so much pressure. You have to do all of these things and you're lucky if you even get in and then you have to fight to stay in. And it just, there is, there does seem to be something like fundamentally wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, and I, I am not a confrontational person to begin with. So I had, I'm very, very thankful that I had a great support system. I had great family, great friends because they knew that I could do what I wanted to do. It was just getting through the grad school process. That was so hard. So there were times where I went to my husband or my family and I said, I can't do this. Like I, I need to quit. And they said, don't you dare. You have to get through this. This is just a hard, hard class. It's a hard project. It's a difficult professor or supervisor, you just have to get through it. I'm so thankful that I did. Um, yeah, I would not, I don't think I would have made it through grad school without my support system. What do you sure. think they thought the perfect SLP, uh, you know, future SLP, SLP student should be? Uh, well, someone who got good grades, <laughs> that, that would probably help, you know, um, and someone who would, I, I use the word dedicated, but in my opinion, dedicated means different things to different people. Yeah, there is, there's the, you know, you could be dedicated by doing a bunch of continuing ed courses um, or, you know, looking into one specific area. It could be, um, you know, building a relationship with one of your professors or an advisor because they're, they specialize in a certain area or something like that, or, you know, showing up. 15 minutes early to every class and then staying 15 minutes late. Um, you know, any number of things could be 
you know, considered dedicated, but definitely a yeah. dedicated um, student and maybe someone who doesn't push back, you know, that accepts when they're wrong, even though they are not wrong. Right. Um, and again, I don't consider myself a confrontational person, but I think it did rub people the wrong way when I had to stand up for myself. I really you know, had to psych myself up to do it. Um, yeah. Did you feel like yeah. there was any pushback from peers in your program too, as you were going through this experience? Did you feel like, oh, I'm different than them or they're not supporting me or, or was that just more felt from the, the staff and faculty? Yeah. So I'm super fortunate that the students that I, that my classmates were all super nice. I felt like they, I mean, we, we all came from different backgrounds and we um, came from a, from a variety of different undergrad programs, but everyone got along, which was really awesome because I've heard from other people that there was intense competition and drama and all that stuff. And I never experienced any of that. So I feel very fortunate in that way. Um, but um, yeah, so that was really good. There were a couple other students who came from um, the same undergrad program that I did. They didn't graduate at the same time as me, um, but we all came in, the, the, some of us came in together. And so we were kind of in an interesting situation where not all of our undergraduate credits transferred to our graduate program. I don't know if either of you experienced anything like that. or I wasn't a speech and hearing major, so I had to take, they called them back then, they called them deficiencies which I think is funny. I think they call it leveling classes now, but. Which is um, nicer. I know, right? You're like, when in the, this is the first time in my life I've ever been deficient. (laughs) I am a star student. But that is crazy that, so you had a degree in speech and hearing. They just wouldn't accept some of your courses as prereqs for the grad courses. Exactly. Yep. So me and the other students then had to take undergrad classes with the class below us. So we actually graduated a couple semesters behind what class we entered into the grad program with. So it was nice that there were like that there was that little group of us um, that were kind of in it together for that first um, part. So we did become friends and we, you know, kind of helped each other out. Um, so that was really nice too. So we were kind of like an in-between class, like a class of our own. Yeah. Um, which was I was in a similar situation too. And where uh, at Arizona State University, they had created this program to try to get more school-based SLPs. So they had funded it through um, the Arizona Education Department. And so ours was very small. I think there was only eight um, eight to 10 maybe a year that they would take for this program. So we worked full-time in the schools, um, full or part-time, I was full-time, but then, then you went to school part-time, but they, we were in the class with the, I don't know what you would call them, the like regular grad program, which was pretty large. It was at least like 45 or 50, I think. It was a little smaller, I think, when I went, but that mm. was you know, in the 50s. I feel like it was pretty big. But there was there was like I always – and again, this is very perceived on my part and may not have been anybody else's feeling or it might not even be accurate. I don't know. But it felt very much like we were this like – yeah, and it was like we weren't as good. We weren't – you know, like – they were in the main program and then most of them wanted to be medical. And then here's this school-based group, but the having eight of us, like we got so close. I don't think I would have survived without them. Well, you shared too, that one of your experiences, were you in the first year of that program or no? second? So, but even I remember we visited the clinic 
And we were looking at all, I guess they put up photos of all of the new um, grad students that are starting that year. And you, you share your story, Sarah, but I mean, this yeah. was interesting to me. Well, so first they, they do a big welcome event for the new cohort every year. We were not included. Unless I missed the invite, I don't know. Um, but at that event, they took a group picture of all the the new incoming grad students. We are not in it. Oh no! I was my picture was never on the wall with all the other grad students. It was very interesting. Like, and so it did. I think maybe yeah. So I'm sure that's obviously where the perception came from is that we were not um, actual grad students. It was very odd. I think it's as biased, you know, like Molly was talking about as far as like, what is the perfect SLP grad student? And so this is a program that was developed out of need and is an amazing program. I wish amazing I program. It. Oh my gosh, I wouldn't have done it any other way. It was so good. But because it was non-traditional, and I do think there is that there are those stereotypes against school-based providers. They're just, I, I mean, we've even seen that when we've gone to conventions sometimes and I remember really early on, Sarah and I went to a convention and had were with some colleagues that were here from the Valley and they worked in different settings and they introduced us to somebody and she was like, oh, where do you work? And we were like, oh, and you know, such and such schools. She literally just kind of turned away like, well, you're not worth my conversation. So we've experienced oh, no. that even as, you know, grownups, not even in school. So I think there, it is just kind of whether our field wants to acknowledge that or not, it, it is... It, it was the reality. I, I hope things have improved. I don't know. But I'm, it's interesting you talk about that kind of ideal student too, because, you know, and I, I have nothing but love for the majority of the professors I encountered. Um, but there was a couple, you know, I remember of individuals that throughout that couple, well, my program was actually three years because it was part-time, where they didn't meet that kind of and, and I do think that they were watched, monitored a lot closer. Um, the one, I remember one that was kind of in that like academic, what did you call it? Probation? Probation. Yeah. Uh, one was kind of in that for grades, but um, thank goodness she advocated for herself too. Now I think about this. It was um, one of the issues was she was being accused of plagiarism for papers she had written because you know how they run those papers through something like a whatever. Oh. Yep. It wasn't right. It it had been flag, flagged multiple things. She did not plagiarize, but she would always. I always think she also probably felt like she very much was targeted, and that very likely could be the case. I think there is something about this profession sometimes that creates a bit of a uh, elitism. Elitism. That is a perfect yeah. word. I completely agree. I was just talking to somebody this weekend. I had an SLP co friend colleague stay with me this weekend. And we were talking about kind of something similar that happened to somebody that I had mentored that um, she was in her last year of grad school, was probably the most talented clinician I've ever seen with students, really, really wonderful, and um, ended up getting kind of in trouble for, I think it was papers that she was writing and she just was, the quality of the papers were not to the standard of this professor. And she was being encouraged to drop out and she was hearing this and listening to this and really thinking, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I don't do this. And I remember thinking, and I talked to her, I go, you are like the greatest SLP I've seen. You finish this. Nobody's going to worry about your school and your grades and how you write a research paper or whatever when you're done in a year. You finish. You don't let this individual decide 
your future. And I think that's what it comes down to. It's like you said, most of the professors are wonderful, but it doesn't take more than just one that will make you think like, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe, maybe I should listen to this person. Especially when it's coming from like a department head or right. like a, a an advisor or someone you look up to, too. Yeah, those words are so damaging. And that happened to me, too. Um, yeah, it was devastating. And again, I went back to my family and I said, well, this is what they said. And they said, no, don't listen. You have to keep going. So, and that's so conflicting, especially when you're, you're in the program, you're trying to learn everything and you, you, you know, go back and forth. Like, am I, am I actually cut out for this? Can I actually do it? It's so stressful. How do you, yeah. How do you sort out your thoughts and move forward and know what's right when you're second guessing yourself? It's like a head of head, heart, or like, you know, gut feeling thing. It's, it's, yeah. all, it's so conflicting. And then there's just the stress of everything. Well, and it's so interesting too, is what you said about like book smart, you know, you struggled a little bit more maybe with those, you know, like the, the projects or maybe some of the content. Um, but then phenomenal in the actual part where you're doing therapy. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you're in a people job. Yeah. Like how that is not the biggest focus is beyond, but we all had those people in our program who were so freaking smart, like genius level smart. Yes. And I don't, I hope they went on to be researchers because I remember a few where I was like, they just didn't have any people. Like, I don't know. Yeah. They get attracted to the the science of our field, which is amazing. But I think that's when, like you said, then you need to go into parts of our field that whether it be doing research or working a very clinical, like maybe I'm doing, you know, fees, testing, swallowing, and really analyzing things and I'm not dealing with people on an ongoing basis. <laughs> um, I thought you hit on something interesting too before how you said when you first started grad school that you had some personal stuff going on as far as being separated from your husband. And I think that's a huge part of grad school too, is that sometimes there are, you're, you're not viewed as a whole person. You're viewed at, as your time right there in that moment and not what else could possibly be going on. Did, did you um, have that experience too, like throughout your program or? Definitely. Um, it was kind of like the, it was like the perfect storm of situations that would happen in, um, in my personal life that would, that would then affect my schoolwork and then vice versa too. Um, there, yeah, there was, there were quite a few things that, that happened. Um, and it, it's, it's frustrating because like, how do you decide again with all the stress of everything? Like, well, you know, my, my, my heart tells me that I need to like, you know, con concentrate on this personal life stuff, but I also need to graduate and I need to, you know, be at a point academically where I can succeed. So that, yeah, that was really tough. Um, and how, the, the, the personal life and the school life kind of like conflicted with each other. And we were even told not directly. And I, I can't even remember exactly how it was portrayed by some of the program staff, but they didn't want us to have jobs outside of school. They kind of frowned upon relationships, uh, <laughs> which was obviously like, well, I'm married. So sorry. Um, they, what else did they not? They, they liked it when people stayed on campus. Um, you know, from like 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. They just 
some of the program staff had the view of, well, as long as you're on campus, you, you're learning and you can study and yada, yada. And that's not how I operated at all. I had to commute quite a ways through busy, heavy traffic a lot of the time. Um, so I, I would get there, you know, I would try to get there 10, 15 minutes before class started, but that wasn't always the case. Um, and then I would prefer to go home and study because then I'm the type of person who studies and learns well in like a personal environment, not, I I can't study in a library where there's, it's so all the smells and the noises and everything. That's just not my comfort zone. So I was even told a couple of times by different program staff, you're leaving already. It's only like two o'clock. I'm like, yeah, I'm done with class. I'm going home. I'm going to do my work at home. And then it's like they didn't believe me. They thought I was just going home to goof off or when I would say, oh, yeah, no, you I'm- did. You could go home and goof off. You're not committed to be there outside of your your courses. Exactly. Exactly. Or when, whenever I would mention, oh, you know, sorry, I can't do this group project tonight. I have to work. And if like a program staff would overhear that, oh, that was a big no, no. <laughs> That is insane. Now, I, I worked full-time. And Sarah, didn't you have a couple of babies? Was it grad school or undergrad that you had your babies? Yes. I had two, both kids in undergrad. And then How dare. I waited. I know. Right? Undergrad, it wasn't quite the same vibe, though, you know, because it's undergrad and you don't, nobody really knows if they're going to, what they're going to be doing. Um because it's speech and hearing. So you might've been going to different, you know what I mean? Like it just, I don't think in undergrad, I felt that as much, but I actually took a lot of time off in between undergrad and grad because I had kids and was stressed and all of that. But, um, I also was terrified to take the GRE terrified that I was like, I don't, I put that off for years and blamed being a mom, but I really think it was that GRE, which in and of itself is so problematic too. Are they getting rid of that? I hope. Like I know I've, I've seen programs talking about, cause it's obviously again, so irrelevant exactly. just because you'd perform well on that test means absolutely nothing about the SLP you're going to be someday. But I did finally take it barely passed it. And then, yeah, I had both kids. The whole time. And I had a similar experience too, Sarah. I had my, my oldest, um, Oh, it was after my second year of grad school. And when I told, I I like waited telling my program staff for as long as possible (laughs) because I was so nervous of how they would react. And then I finally did tell one of them and their reaction was just completely blank. I think they were expecting me or hoping that I would say, oh, I'm also dropping out because I'm having a baby. And that was not the case at all. And And I like wasn't looking for extra treatment or, you know, any leeway or whatever. I just said, Hey, by the way, like in case I have to leave one day, cause my water breaks, like this is why. <laughs> and then no, I, did. I did not, I will say I have, first of all, I had the best supervisor in the world. Lisa knows who that is. She also had the privilege of having her when she was at ASU, but, um, she was amazing and so supportive and always more just like impressed. I think like, I can't believe you're taking all this on. Like she was phenomenal. But I, there is, there is something about that. Like, again, what they would consider to be the ideal and your dedication, like you said, very subjective, what they consider somebody who's more dedicated than another person. Did any not of this, true. like spill over into the, your experiences that you were having in school? Did it spill over into externships or clinical rotations mm-hmm. or anything? Do you feel like you were looked at differently for placements or, or anything like that? So our, I don't know how it works in other programs, but we had some 
uh, like say in where we wanted to work or do our, uh, our placements. So that was kind of nice. Um, I can't remember. I think one of them, we were like only given like one or two choices or not even a choice, just told where to go. Um, but I did get the placements that I wanted and I didn't know any of my su those supervisors before I started. And when I went in, I did my school placement first and I actually had two supervisors and they were both wonderful. However, I had almost zero confidence in myself by the time I started because I had just been told over and over and over. Well, I should say in the, in my, my last semester of uh, like on campus clinical work, those supervisors were nice. We did get, we had a little bit of a staff turnover and I think that really helped. Um, and so they were giving me positive feedback and, you know, constructive criticism. And I actually, that, that definitely helped. But when I started my school placement, I just didn't, I just expected to keep receiving negative feedback or no, you're not doing that right. Or, you know, them stepping in a lot to correct, to correct me. And then when I started taking on the caseload, they're like, yeah, nope, you're doing great. Nope. That sounds good. Yep. They're making the correct corrections or whatever. And I was just really confused. I just kept expecting to hear that negative feedback. And then yeah. when we were halfway through the semester and it was time for, you know, midterm scores. And they gave me almost all like, I, I don't remember if it was A's or B's or, or if it was like on a number scale, but they gave me almost all the highest marks. And I, I asked them, I'm like, are you serious? Like, are you, are you just doing that because you, you like sure? me? <laughs> and they said, drama. I know yeah. that. Like, so those experiences, you don't even think about how that is going to impact going into then whatever clinical rotations you do. And then even as, like a CF, how did that, um, did it, did you feel like you, you built up more confidence by the time you became a CF or, um, yeah. okay, good. And, and I, um, also attribute that to the, um, the place that I did my second, um, placement. I actually went there for my CF. They hired me, um, because they were at that time they had an opening, which I was very, um, yeah, it just ended up working out really well that way. And so my supervisor, for that placement then became my boss basically. Um, and she, yeah, she was amazing. And we're, you know, we're friends to this day and we, you know, we talk often and I, I just can't thank her enough for all the support that she gave me and all the encouragement and all the feedback and everything. So I ended up working there for a couple of years after, um, I graduated and it was a really positive experience. Um, however, if I would have worked someplace different, I feel like my confidence level definitely would have dropped, not back down to where it was when I started my placements, but it definitely would have dropped again because I was, I wouldn't have, you know, been in a familiar environment or been with people that I had worked with before. So definitely my clinical placement supervisors and my school placement supervisors kind of saved the day for me. Yeah. Well, thank goodness. Cause, oh my gosh, I just, it is, I remember doing the, the ones, like you said, in the clinic at the university and it's so intimidating. I mean, who wants to ever be doing anything where there's like a two-way mirror yes. and you're being watched and they're coming in. Yes. It, you're, you're working with this client and they're coming in to do things and, oh, the whole experience. And I, I again, I was fortunate it ended up being a good experience, but it was over, very overwhelming and intimidating for me. And I dreaded it. It made me sick almost every day to go because I just was like, it's it's just insanely intimidating, you know? And how they frame stuff too. I can remember our clinical supervisor was like, you should be able to go into this closet and pick anything and do therapy. And when she said that, you know, you hear this information, you're like, okay, well, I can't. And I've got to <laughs> 
making this like laminated fish, you know, game to play with kids that I'm thinking out sounds because I've never done therapy. It's my first time here. So to hear messages like that too, like I feel like now, I mean, Sarah and I have um, talked before we went on a, um, a, a speech trip to, to Ghana and had like a rubber glove and a table and that's it. And a pencil maybe. I don't remember. I don't think we had a pencil. Yes, we made some stuff happen with that. But I, but we talked about how had we gone on this same trip when we had little experience, it would have been a different story because you think you need your tools. So it, it is a lot, I think, how the expectations they have for students, the expectation, the way that they relay those expectations, that can make or break your confidence and your experience in your program. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And obviously we want, uh, you know, like there is, um, uh, what do I, what am I trying to say? Like a high level, you know, obviously you're working with individuals who are experiencing these difficult things and, and you need to know a lot, especially that's the other thing about our field that fascinates me is that we all go to the same program and work pediatric through death at 15 different is, is you know, locations is very odd to me, but that's another conversation too. So you have to know something about everything. And I know, obviously, again, like the expectation should be high. I want a really good instruction, you know, and I want to be like pushed and challenged, but yeah, there needs to be something said for, you know, you can do that in a way that boosts someone, right. doesn't yeah, tear exactly. them down. And it's so unfortunate. That's not everybody's reality. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to think of like, oh, cause that thought is crossed my mind many times too. Like, how do we, how do we support our grad students and undergrad students? So yeah, they, they do feel like not that they're just, you know, jumping into the deep end, but they're being like the scaffolding and the support. Hey, yeah. guess what? That's what we're supposed to do with our patients and our students and our clients. And we don't always see that in our grad school programs. Like that's just, I don't know. I'd love to hear your, both of your thoughts about that, but it's, it's Is just- the disconnect that too. I mean, a lot of times people that are teaching, they're not actively working with people like, you know, clients and stuff. And I do think there, you know, Sarah and I even talked about how when we shifted to business, we love still doing like mentoring and stuff to try to, to still stay relevant and have a pulse, but you you do become removed. So when you have these people that have been in these programs forever and only doing research kind of based stuff, I, I do think that impacts your ability to then relay how to, yeah. how to connect, not Especially just if they're, if they're coming from the ideal, right. But not the real world. Like and you should be doing this with no yeah. understanding of, like you said, the real world and how things, you know, yeah, we should be doing a lot of stuff, but sometimes mm-hmm. you're just trying to get through the day period. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. But I, I, I do want to talk about that with the supports, like you just said, you know, uh, any good therapist is able to on a dime problem solve and pivot and do all of these things to get what we, you know, need for that client to be successful. Um, but we're not experienced that level of support in the graduate program. And it is interesting. I'd be curious and I don't know, I've never looked at this until you just said it, you know, how many individuals in grad school are on, it's still a 504 in college, right? If you need accommodations and support, okay, I thought so. You know, it, it, is that a thing? Is that even possible? Can you be in the grad program on a five hundred four? Um, do you, you know, is there any kind of supports for? We're not going to all be strong in all areas, and so why aren't they kind of pivoting 
um, a little bit of the instruction to help us be successful. And we're not going to all be the same student. Everyone yeah. has different ways of being a student. So is there a way where each of the classes that you can take, and this is like in the ideal world, right? Where each of the classes that you take, there's a hands-on portion of each class. There's an act like a book, you know, like an academic focused portion of each class. And there's like a hybrid model. Like the way that I learn best is, you know, I, I call it hands-on, but really it's watching someone do it first and then me doing it with their help and then them step, stepping back and then having me do it while they are kind of watching and giving feedback as I need it. And, you know, that really never happens unless you have like an amazing supervisor and, you know, in exactly that way. So well, even I think we talk about that all the time now. I don't remember a lot of hands-on, I mean, like actual real world examples other than in the externships, mm -hmm. but you don't get to see a lot of people doing therapy, you know, and in different scenarios. Well, and didn't we, when we were talking to our colleagues at ASU, I feel like they were talking about doing shorter, um, not even semesters, whatever they call them, trimesters or whatever, but they were trying to pair somebody who was more research focused with somebody clinical yes, so practical. they could connect. And I was like, that's brilliant because Loved that's it. I think Sarah's program being in that program where she was working full time in the schools while attending grad school, she was learning things and able to apply it immediately the next day versus me. I wasn't even speech and hearing undergrad, was a psych undergrad, went to grad school, I was book smart. Like I could read things and understand things. So that's a very different experience than applying them to people. So I felt like my real learning as a, as an SLP came as I was working, you know, later on, and then you're encountering things and figuring them out. But if we could give that to our students in the moment in, in grad school, that would be golden. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would have been a complete game changer for my grad school experience for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw our last um, summit we had in July. We had um, Sam from, um, I always love her Instagram handle, speaking of semantics. And um, she taught, that was her entire course was on, uh, it was called Perfection Unplugged. And she was, you know, it was geared towards grad students. And I think with that idea of her personal experience and understanding that we've got such high pressure and this ideal of perfection, and we've got to be this you know, and, and the, like just the amount of pressure that I think we all experience and how you don't have to know everything and you're not going to be great at everything. And your experience doesn't have to be like, you know, amazing and, and fantastic, but it applied, I thought even to clinicians, seasoned clinicians, because there was just a lot of good takeaways. Um, but I thought that's the kind of stuff, you know, nobody really ever talks about. And so I was thrilled when you had, um, talked about this as an opportunity for a conversation in this setting, because I did, I thought there needs to be, you know, some kind of change in the, um, what's the word I'm trying to say? Well, I always go back to our very first podcast episode where I said, we'd like to remove the stick from this profession's ass. And I was real worried when I said it, but I haven't been canceled yet. Yeah. Uh, but it's the same, like even in grad school, this ideal, and that's what sets us up to have such imposter syndrome later and this constant like fear of not being good enough at our job, you know, and I think it all stems from the, the program. And so I don't, I don't know, you know, transparency I think is the first step that I mean, people talking about it and sharing their experience and understanding that this was not isolated to just me. I mean, I think every one of us has had something that we could relate to in this conversation, but 
if you could go back to your younger self and kind of talk to yourself, what, what would you have told her as she was entering grad school? She got off that wait list and was going in. Oh boy. Um, just to know, know your worth and know what you can and will do. I wanted to be an SLP. That's the only thing I wanted to do. I decided that in high school, I knew I wanted to help people and I stuck with it. So if I could just tell myself, don't give up on that, you know, you can do it. You got to get through the tough stuff. Just keep persevering and do it and listen to your support system. (laughs) Don't listen to the little voices around you. Don't listen to the noise. Listen to yourself and yeah, know your worth, but also know your limits and and knowing to ask for help. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I didn't always ask for help when I should have, because I, again, just kept receiving such bad feedback or negative feedback that I just stopped asking for help, but I should have definitely should have pushed more and um, asked for more help and advocated for myself even more. Um, but yeah. yeah, I love that. And then, you know what, now, even when you just said that too, I thought there is something about the accomplishment, you know, and the perseverance that those, I mean, those are great life and career lessons. I mean, we have to persevere and push through challenges regularly. And so there is something to be said for that. And so I think I love that you said, you know, you know, your value and your worth, if this is what you truly know in your heart, you are meant to do, you, you're going to have to persevere and advocate for yourself. I love that you share that experience of advocating for yourself and then find a support group too. If you don't yes. already have one, um, hopefully you find, especially with our peers, you know, in the program and stuff, because nobody, no one ever gets it. Like I have other friends who've gone to different grad school programs. And they were like, it wasn't that bad. And I go, you don't really know then <laughs> what it's like. My program was not the same, I'm sure, you know, so I think that's such great advice. Yeah. And also, you know, a lot of uh, schools have um, on campus, uh, like mental health services too. And I wish, I wish they would have shown us where that office was on day one, you know, during welcome week, like, hey, you know, go check them out you know, once a month, once a week, you know, whatever I, and you know, back when I was in grad school, mental health wasn't as much of a topic and, um, it wasn't as transparent as it is now. Um, but I definitely could have used some of those services at that time. And, um, I have since then um, taken up some of those services and it's, you know, really helped just to sort through things and just to realize that, yeah, that, that was my experience was, hope, you know, isolating, hopefully like an isolated experience. I don't, you know, not everyone experienced everything that I did, but, um, yeah, just to kind of work through some of that stuff and then be able to move on and be the therapist that I would, that I'm trying to be and that I'm, you know, working towards being from, for myself and for the the students and the adults that I serve. Yeah. Yeah. So how is the career? Like, are you like, uh, that wasn't worth it. Just kidding. <laughs> This sucks. <laughs> no, there, there are some things. No, no, no. Overall, overall, yeah. It's. I'm so glad that I stuck with it, and I hope that others in you know similar situations are glad they stuck with it too. And you know, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, or you know, there's um, there's the good days, and obviously you're going to have your bad days or your you know your tough moments too. But overall, it's you know it's been a good experience and just helping people. Like that's, that's what we're here to do, right? We're here to help people and better people's lives. And that's what, yeah, I strive for every day. That's fantastic. I know. I don't think great conversation. I know. (laughs) 
I know. And I'm really, really hopeful that anyone listening, reach out. I would love to hear people's, you know, other people's personal experiences. Because like you said, I think there is something very powerful about connection. Absolutely. And I think we all, I know I've struggled a lot of times with, I, I'm clearly the only one who either doesn't belong here or doesn't know, or is having such a hard time in this class. It's just me. Everybody else is thriving. Um, and that, obviously that's not the case. Um, and to have more empathy and compassion and, Absolutely. you know, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Molly. <laughs> I almost just used your name. <laughs> no, thank you both so much for having me. This was, yeah, this was such a great conversation and I loved hearing both of your experiences and your ideas and, and everything too. So yeah, this was really great. And yeah, like you said too, I, I hope that people do reach out and share their experiences and ideas for change and yeah, just any, anything yes. to add to the conversation. Yeah, because that I'm of course this whole time my wheels are turning. We've had some great conversations with our colleagues at ASU about the grad school application process and how to improve that. Like I said, get rid of the GRE first and foremost, please. But two, you're not even like inter. They don't even interview. They get the you know the essay that the person okay. wrote and they see their grades. Mm -hmm. But I'd have a conversation with people. Like you can get it. We have good intuition. You can get a feel on somebody's passion and whether or not they're going to be, you know, great with people or, you know, so there's, there's definitely some things that need to, that need to happen. Or again, if, you know, you have those people that are great with people and want to go into working in therapy and you also have people that geek out on the research. And so just yes. and I them too, obviously are yeah. different types of students and not everybody has to look the same. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Molly. We yeah. appreciate you being with us today. Yeah, thank you again. This is great. Thank you.